Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast. In association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hello there, podcast fans, and welcome to Total Football. It was a weekend in which to tear up your preconceptions about the Premier League and we're ready to challenge every single one of them from now until the end of the podcast. Crystal Palace doomed? Nonsense. They've now gone seven games unbeaten. Marco Silva, the best young manager in the league? That's a funny looking 4-1 home defeat to Huddersfield, Marco. And Tottenham, realistic challenges to your 2017-18 Premier League champions, Manchester City? No, just no. We'll head to Merseyside to speak to Chris Bascom after Liverpool's 4-0 win over Bournemouth and to look ahead to Everton's appearance on a Monday night football that some are calling the Gilfie Sigurdsson derby. Plus, we'll put your questions about the Newcastle takeover saga to a man in the know. But first, I'm delighted to say that I'm in the company of our friend from the north, Luke Edwards. Luke, how are you? I'm very well, Tom. Not oh. actually from the north, it transpires, just just living there. No, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the south and, um, yeah, I, I moved to, to Newcastle when I went to university and never left. But a happy transplant. It's a lovely part of the world. It really is a fantastic place to live. <laughs> fantastic. Luke, we'll start with what looked like being game of the weekend that ended in a slightly disappointing, heavy defeat for Spurs. 4-1 to Manchester City. This should be the best match in the Premier League at the moment. But on this evidence, there's an enormous gulf between City and Spurs. Well, I think in the last two weekends, we've seen that enormous gulf. And because the weekend before, the most amazing match in the country was Manchester City versus Manchester United. And Manchester City outclassed United. And they've now given Tottenham quite a spanking, it has to be said. I mean, I... I, I suppose we're all getting slightly bored of saying how good City are, um, but they are pretty good. I mean, no, actually, they're fantastic, and they're an absolute joy to watch. And I think, as a neutral, any neutral, any, even any football fan, anyone who even has a vague inkling of interest in watching good football, can only appreciate how good Manchester City are. And they made Tottenham look pretty ordinary. And Tottenham now are, and I've, I've written this before, they are the nearly team. They are, you know, to, to bring it back to my part of the world, they they are in danger of becoming the new Newcastle United. Um, you know, play good football, but constantly win nothing, excite people, threaten to win the trophy. And, and, and Pochettino hasn't won anything as a manager. And I think eventually that catches up with you. You've got to win trophies. Part of the problem with them as well is that 
the good players for Spurs have been the good players now for three or four seasons. The, mm. the Jose Mourinho thing is always bring in one person who's going to be a first team starter every summer. Doesn't really seem to be happening with Spurs. Are they going backwards by staying still? I think they. I think they are to, to a certain extent. I think this is always going to be a big year for them. And unfortunately, what what has happened is that the two Manchester clubs, in particular, have spent an absolute fortune in the summer and have progressed and they've left Tottenham behind. And now the, the big danger for Tottenham now is. Um, in nine months' time, or however long this season is going to go on for, um, they're, 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 because of their wage structure, you can actually see them losing more players. And I think that there's, there's going to be a real pressure on them from some of the bigger clubs now because everybody knows about the wage structure and, and, and players can use that no trophies thing as an excuse and they will, or rather their agents will be in their ear telling them to use it as an excuse and they will leave. So we, we've already seen it with Danny Rose, we've seen Kyle Walker go and I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of trouble at Tottenham going forward because um, I think clubs will start to cir- uh, c- circle around them and, and pick off their best players. Going back to the magnificent Manchester City winning machine, Kevin De Bruyne looks a shoe-in for player of the year, just playing magical football at the moment. Is he on a kind of Cristiano Ronaldo sort of path, do you think, at the moment? I think he could be. I think he really could be. And and what was sort of uh, hilarious is maybe not... The, no, I will use the word hilarious, was was Deli Alley's um, attempt to take him out of the game with, quite frankly, uh, a pretty disgusting challenge. I mean, the sort of challenge I used to make uh, as a sort of rather limited midfield spoiler... Um, I mean, he he deliberately went to injure him, and, and all it actually did was fire up uh, Kevin De Bruyne at another level. Who then went, I think, what was it, a matter of seconds, uh, scored that wonderful, wonderful goal to make Deli Ali look even even more stupid. Bit and, of a discipline problem for Spurs, do you think, with those horrible tackles they were putting in? I don't know whether it's a discipline problem as much as a they were probably told get in their faces and give them a bit of a kicking, especially see, if you're losing. Especially if you lose. Well, it's only human nature, isn't it? If you lose, and we've all done it. We've all done it, and we've lost the ball with kicks. I'm on. I mean. Tom, you look, you've got that in you. I've lost tell. my temper on this podcast before when I feel uh, like I've been losing an argument. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I don't know if it's a discipline problem. I think they were just, it was just a bit embarrassing for them. And I think that, I think that not just about that 90 minute performance, I think maybe it's about how the season has, has sort of gone for them because I think uh, we all expected them to, to mount a, a title challenge and it hasn't materialised. And it just, as, uh, you know, to come back to that point, I made, there is this kind of view now that perhaps Tottenham's beginning to unravel. Um, just ahead of their move into the new stadium. Shame. Quite, yes. Uh, Impressive from City as well. They keep going to the very end of games. Two more late goals for them. How big a deal is that stamina, do you think, for for a top team like them? Probably we don't talk about their fitness levels, do we? That's probably something we don't talk about. We talk about how amazing they are technically and and, and particularly the, the sort of front four, front six how good they are but you know they really do and and they're ruthless I mean they just once they get the team down they just don't they just keep hitting them basically don't they they just don't let them up um, and, and that is impressive and we haven't mentioned Raheem Sterling yet I don't know if that's on your list of questions that I'm interrupting or seizing control it, seizing control of this podcast but Raheem Sterling I mean it's a fantastic story by, by James Ducker in, in, in the Sunday Telegraph you know uh, attacked um, racially abused in the morning, goes and scores another two goals uh, and, and, and another fantastic performance. And for all this talk of, of Pep Guardiola buying the title, which we can all throw at them, they they are the richest club in Europe or one of them. They have spent a huge amount of money and it must be wonderful as a manager to be, be go out there and pick up the cream of Europe. But he inherited Raheem Sterling 
and he's turned Raheem Sterling in, into one of the finest sort of wide players in, in Europe at the moment. Fantastic news for England. Shows he's a good coach as, as well as a checkbook um, a manager. And, and Raheem Sterling really, for me, has been one of the feel-good stories of, of English football this yeah. season so far. Moving on to Sunday's match between West Bromwich Albion and Manchester United. A 2-1 win for Man United at the Hawthorns. Romelu Lukaku, I know he played for West Brom, albeit on loan. Didn't celebrate. Didn't celebrate in the week either when he scored uh, against Bournemouth for United. Does he just not enjoy headed goals? Do we think? I think he's just a little bit mardy at the minute, isn't he? I mean, his people have been mean to him. They've said nasty things, and the fans have got on his back, and he just feels like a little bit of a victim. So maybe he's just something. Sort of I've scored a goal, but you know what? Oh, I'm not bothered. I'm just not bothered. And no, you've been nasty to me, and I'm getting a bit of criticism. So I'm just, I'm just not going to be happy about anything. It's stupid. Come on, if you score a goal. I mean, every footballer I've ever spoken to saying that scoring a goal is the most amazing experience ever, and and you know it's only comparable to can I say orgasm on this on this well, podcast? Well, we'll find out when we hear the Edison. Okay, version. United still looking a little bit shell shocked from the City game, <laughs> as far as I can see. They took their foot off the gas a little bit when they were cruising at two 0 Gareth Barry's goal, uh, very straightforward. How do they get over that? Um, well, it's that I don't know if you, well they will get over it, um, but I suspect it won't be in the Premier League that they get over it. I think they'll probably now realise that they're playing for for runners up spot. Um, there is a bit of a cloud, and really there shouldn't be. I mean, there's been a little for me. There's been a little bit of of unfair criticism of, of Jose Mourinho. Um, Manchester United are a better team than they were than when he took over. The club is in a much healthier position. Uh, they're in the knockout stages of the Champions League. They're in all four competitions, I believe. I mean, OK, the Premier League might have gone, but uh, he won, uh, we'll say, two trophies in his first season rather than his three. But we will say, but, you know, they are in a good position. Uh, what we are seeing is that everyone is playing second fiddle to an absolutely fantastic Manchester City side. They've that, distorted everything. They've distorted everything, yes. And so we shouldn't... We shouldn't really be sitting there saying Jose Mourinho has failed at Manchester United because he hasn't. He's failed to win the title, but he's won two trophies uh, and they're still in a good position and they are still progressing. And you sort of think, well, uh, you know, Conte's been made to look fairly ordinary this season by Pep Guardiola, whereas 12 months ago, you know, it was Conte was was the amazing manager, done such a fantastic job at Chelsea. And Chelsea with this, you know, we're, we're in a really good place. Look, City are distorting everything. They have changed. They are probably the benchmark at the moment for Europe not just the Premier League. And quite frankly, after years of our, our clubs underperforming in Europe, I'm, I'm really excited at the fact that I think that they've all got a good chance in Europe this season because Manchester City have raised that level and they are so far ahead. But that doesn't mean that the rest aren't going to be able to, to beat some of the best in Europe. Alan Pardew, a man you're familiar with from his time mm. at Newcastle. What's in his playbook to get West Brom firing again? Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, what's in Alan Pardew's play, uh, playbook? Well, um, has he still got the goatee? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, but... I, I'm not sure. Look, um, Alan Pardew, um, good manager. Why are you laughing? Uh, the, part, the Pardew playbook is, is a hilarious well, idea that he yeah, has. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Yeah, it's a hilarious idea. He's got a playbook. I'm just, I've got images. There's so many images. I mean, could, he could dance on the touchline, for example. We could see that. That could inspire his troops. Um, no, he could he could come back with some more dodgy facial hair. I don't know. He could he could wear some more clear rim glasses to make himself look like an intellectual. I don't um, look. He for me, Alan Pardew is one of those managers who who has a he, he's a good manager who who's particularly good in his first six to twelve months. And then after that, it all tends to, if you look at his managerial career, tends to unravel fairly spectacularly. Um, the worry for me for him at West Brom is it hasn't really had an instant pick up. Uh, I think most supporters were 
probably felt he was an uninspiring choice, um, a slightly strange choice given um, his record at Newcastle um, and Crystal Palace. But they probably thought he would do this kind of instant job. I think he's got a lot of trouble on his hands. You know, he went in there saying that this team has underperformed uh, following the normal new manager playbook. Uh, I don't know if this is a generic one, not the Alan Pardew one. He's now saying we need to spend money in January. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for them. Um, there are a few bad teams in the Premier League this season. And West Brom are definitely one of them. <laughs> Another manager you're familiar with for his stint in the North East is David Moyes. He's back, isn't he? 3-0 for West Ham away at Stoke. Was there any sign he was capable of this sort of transformation when he was managing Sunderland? Moyes is back. I like that. I mean, that, that could be... That's Yeah, my, no, look, I, I liked David Moyes at, at Sunderland and I got on well with him and... And I've put this in print, so I'll say it again. I think he's, he he suffered a bit of a crisis of confidence, I think, as a manager at Sunderland. And I think he's probably given West Ham what they needed, which was a little bit of a... A bit of... A, well, you know, we talked about fitness, but, you know, a little bit of back-to-basics standards around the place, which I think had slipped under Billich. Uh, I think he's... He, and they've got talent there. They've got talented players, and he's got them organised. He's got them working a little bit harder. And look, good luck to him. It's good to see. It's nice to see, you know, uh, the narrative around somebody change, and it has for David Moyes. I think he was probably fortunate to get the West Ham job, but he's making the most of it. And, um, yeah, good luck to him. Less positive narrative around Mark Hughes, who... This strikes me as profoundly cheeky from Mark Hughes. Said earlier this week, I've never been relegated because I'm too busy trying to get in top tens. I've never been near it, so I'm not going to start now, am I? That's not quite how I remember his time at QPR coming to an end. It's just a little bit close to home for you, isn't it, Tom? Look, I think Mark Hughes is finished. I will will, will keep it brief. I think it's time for Mark Hughes to go at Stoke. I think if I have one of my best friends is is a Stoke City fan... Uh, lovely chap, um, um, but he, uh, you know, he 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 just said it's dull, it's boring. It was dull and boring at the start of the season before this run. I think becoming a Stoke fan has become a little bit boring for them because they're one of those clubs that's been in the Premier League for a long time. They peaked with their FA Cup final season and and playing in in Europe. And everything since then is, oh, goody, we're chasing eighth. Um, <laughs> well, there was that Stoke alone a bit, wasn't there? That was good fun. Yeah, and I just think Mark Hughes, you know, the Mark Hughes has probably just had his time there. It just feels like it's run its course. They're in trouble now, I think. Uh, the one thing they can't afford to do, as with all of these established Premier League clubs with their huge wage bills, um, is go down. So I think a change is coming sooner rather than later. I wouldn't even be surprised if it happened this week. I might be wrong. John Percy, our man in the Midlands, would know, <laughs> know more about that than me. But it does feel like it's run its course, and I think it's bye-bye Mark Hughes. At JP Telegraph on Twitter for all of your latest, latest Midlands news. A couple of big away wins, Leicester nil, Crystal Palace 3 and Watford won Huddersfield 4 this weekend. Let's start with Palace. I absolutely love Wilfred Zaha. He is just, he's like human highlights reel at the moment. Outrageous flashes of skill this week and this weekend. Is someone going to come in for him in January, do you think? Yes, I think someone will certainly try. Um, I think Tottenham would probably quite like to have a have a look at him. Um, I think there will be a lot of clubs. I think probably all of the all of the big six clubs will, will certainly maybe not Manchester United because obviously he's been there and, and didn't get a game under David Moyes. So what a shame it is that he's been lost to England as well um, because we could have really done with him. What another talking about you know managerial um, rejuvenations, Mr. Hodgson at Crystal Palace, another another buffoon according to uh, the, the wider narrative, uh, a dinosaur washed up failure. Um, a, a, you know, a, a joke, a national joke. But now, look at him at Crystal Palace again, doing doing a really good job of turning their season around. So, what you know, Moyes and and Hodgson, 
um, it's it's gone. You know, it's, it's nice to see them changing the story around them and into a more positive one. And Palace should never have been in the bottom three. Let's let's be honest. But um, we, we, again, with with the players they've got, but. Uh, they're doing really, really well, and um, yeah, it's, um, it's it's great for for Roy Hodgson. Quite super win for Huddersfield as well at Vicarage Road. A couple of players missing for what for Chalabar and Cleverly in midfield for them, but it seems to me that Silver's head was turned by the Everton saga, and it's all gone a little bit awry for them after that. Is that an accurate reading of it? Do you think? Yeah, no, that's very interesting about Marco Silva because um, you have to ask why a manager w- would take the whole job twelve months ago. So. Marco Silva didn't take the whole job because he saw his future, at, long-term future at Hull City, or it's a club he'd always dreamed of managing after Olympiacos in Greece. Um, he took the whole job because he wanted to showcase himself in the Premier League. Um, did a wonderful job. Got his move. Got his big, you know, he, you know, no intention of staying at Hull. You knew that straight away. No intention of trying to just lead them out of the championship. Didn't want to do that. He'd made his name. Most important thing to Marco Silva was making a name for Marco Silva. Goes to Watford. I think a few of us were a little bit surprised he went to Watford, thought he might have got a better job, but, you know, fair enough. He does really well at Watford at the start, and then the Everton story comes up. Now, Marco Silva's big mistake there was that press conference when he basically said, it's just speculation, I can't stop it. He did the whole, oh, I don't want to talk about that, but I'm definitely not going to say I'm not interested. Now, does that get in players' heads, yes, yes, exactly, and particularly at a club the size of Watford. When you've got players like Troy Deeney, who've always constantly you know, been linked with maybe moves away, it's a club where you could easily see it as a stepping stone, where you go there and you earn a move to a bigger club. Now, if you've got this guy who is charismatic and, and it obviously inspired them and got inside their heads and sort of really galvanised the place when he went in there, doing fantastically well, and then after a few weeks of coming in, he then pretty much makes it known without saying it it's not particularly subtle was it it was I'd really quite like the Everton job actually I think it undermines you in a dressing room and I think players will look at him and just go is this bloke for real like well so alright so we've got a buster gut but he's already got his eye on leaving and he wanted to go and he doesn't think this club is big enough for him it becomes a problem and I think he's he's in a bit of trouble now um, that's a, that's an implosion at home to Huddersfield be interesting to see they could fall quite rapidly Watford they shouldn't be they're talented but I just wonder whether you know he's overplayed his hand a little bit um, and it'll come back and bite him Chelsea won Southampton nil at Stamford Bridge. It's eight wins in ten now for Chelsea. Assuming Conte does go, which looks more likely than not at this stage, they've got a really solid group there, haven't they, at Chelsea? Or do you think it's the manager who's making them look that way? They have got a solid group, but I think, again, what you've seen with Chelsea is a little bit after they did well in Mourinho's first season, isn't it? There's something there that they do well for a year and then they seem to tail off a little bit. Um... Conte, we do feel like we're kind of almost into the the long goodbye with Conte, don't we? I don't think he, again, he's not really disguised the fact that he'd quite like to go back to Italy. And again, to pick up on the same theme with the Silving, are those players, although they're motivated and they're doing pretty well, are they looking at the manager thinking, you don't really want to be here anymore, do you? You, you want to go back to Italy. So, well, we'll just, we'll, you know, it's, it's, you're talking tiny, tiny percentages of just focus or discipline or motivation that that can that can come back. I mean, Chelsea are having a solid season, aren't they? But do I think they'll win anything this year? No, I don't. Sad, sad news for any Blues fans. Brighton nil, Burnley nil. Anything you desperately want to no, say about this, man? No, no, we'll no. Move on, move I've, on. Well, I'd, 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 I'd like to say I love Chris Hewton. 
yeah, he's a top fella, isn't he? I do genuinely. He, he's such a lovely person. Merseyside's own Chris Bascom is on the line now to pick over the bones of Bournemouth nil, Liverpool 4. Chris, a bit of an end-of-term feeling to this one. Liverpool winning at a canter. Martin Tyler doing that thing where he barely even commentates over the goals because they just seem so inevitable. But there's a lot to admire in the way that Liverpool are scoring goals in these sorts of matches at the moment. It all seems very easy for them. Well, sometimes it does. Yeah, that's the, that's the funny thing about this Liverpool. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot wrong with this Liverpool team. I've got to say, you know, I think there's a lot of you know, frustration when they don't win games that they should be winning or the teams they should be winning. But I think that's 67 goals they've scored in all competitions now this season, which, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that there's another team down the road that's so magnificently good, maybe it would be a different scenario about what what was possible this season. But, yeah, I mean, when when they're good, they're really good. I think maybe Bournemouth set up in a quite generous way, but doing good, doing well. Yeah, defence looking better and Lovren even chipping in with a goal today. It was nicely taken as well. What about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well, Chris? He, he seems to be enjoying his football a bit more. Yeah, I think it, it's a bit of a... I mean, you can think it was an, an easy transition going from the Arsenal side to the Liverpool side. It's not a million miles in terms of the, the, the way the philosophy of the football, but Klopp's demands, I think, have been a lot different. So perhaps he, he's been used to at Arsenal in terms of his position and in terms of the work rate, in terms of the number of sprints he's got to do per match. And I think when he first got in the in, in the side, there was a game I think he played at Leicester, and he just looked completely, you know, so he could he wasn't capable of finding a teammate or, you know, catching his breath even. And um, you know, he sort of, sort of this particular game, I thought he was he was very impressive. Certainly, his most mature game for Liverpool, I think, just doing the simple things well, joining the attack when needed, unlucky not to score a couple of goals, and um, it bodes well because obviously Adam Lallana. I think it's quite significant to see him back again because when he's fully fit, 100%, he's one of those you'd expect to be one of the first names on the team sheet on the clock. So the competition is there. I think you know Liverpool are you know they're on course of a much better second half maybe to this season. But what they'll have to play for, I think they're going to have to you know concentrate a bit on the FA Cup and up the Champions League. Uh, draw keeps on being kind to them. Um, Chris, do you, do you think they'll they they're good enough to finish in the top four again? This season, I think they will finish in the top four. Yeah, I mm. think. I think. I mean, it's obviously it's it's really whether United. I mean, you know, the United are winning games without playing anywhere near as impressive football. It has to be said. Spurs, you know, they were playing so well at the start of the season. Last time I did the podcast, I think Spurs just hammered Liverpool. So, you know, they can come again, and um, it, then it's a question of what's happening at Chelsea because you always get the feeling that something's about to erupt there, and Arsenal, of course, always seem to fade a little bit when it matters. So I, I think Liverpool will finish in the top four. I, I certainly think they'll get more points than they did last season. And I think it's going to be very competitive up there to get those top four places. But I think certainly Liverpool do, do you know, get more points than last season. That should be enough to get them in the top four. And and, and any chances with January window coming up? Do you think any chance the Van Dijk deal being revised? I think it is as it was. There's no doubt that they, they won him. Mm. Uh, I think you know, the fat man City are now looking at it. If you're Virgil van Dijk, would you go to Liverpool or have Manchester City? Oh, pesky Manchester City. That's just not only <laughs> yeah. are they like playing would you brilliant go anywhere football. Other than Manchester City, to be fair, but uh, yeah, would, that's so annoying. I'd be worried about Van Dijk because he looks like he's done that thing that Torres did towards the end of his time at Liverpool, where he's clearly doesn't want to be there and he just stops. It's like five percent down on what he would be playing. He just looks a little bit rusty, and yeah. I don't think I don't think that's an easy thing to come back to from as a footballer. No, that's right. I mean, I think with, with Torres, everyone thought he'd just sort of you know just given up. Although as it turned out, 
if he wasn't any better when he went to Chelsea, was <laughs> no. he? Um, <laughs> I think he brought it on know, himself. So there's another similarity, and you know, Torres had had a pretty bad injury just before then, and there was always a feeling that well, had the injury taken something out of him, maybe Van Dijk injury. That was a pretty serious injury he had. So I, City I can have him. Is that what you're saying, Chris? City can City are welcome to him. Well, I, <laughs> I still think it'll be. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how serious. You know, after scared James Ducker, how serious the Manchester City interest really yeah. is. But they were they were certainly looking at him for for a while this, uh, last summer, and then as soon as he, he decided he wanted to go to Liverpool, or Man City said they didn't want him anymore. Yeah, maybe he changed his mind and said he suddenly decided he's a good player again. Who knows how these things are going to go? But um, uh, under the first question, yes, Liverpool would buy him in a heartbeat. But I don't think I think they're going to be a bit wary about making the first approach for him. It'd be a difficult negotiation. Les Reed clearly doesn't want to speak to Liverpool, but mm-hmm. maybe with him being dropped over the weekend, they just want to flog him. Maybe they'll just think, you know what, 75 million quid for a player who's not really doing the business, good business. Yeah. Looking ahead to Monday night, Chris, what has Sam Allardyce been up to since arriving at Goodison Park, apart from cancelling Christmas? Well, you know, considering the suspicion that you know preceded his appointment... He was warmly welcomed. I mean, you know, I kind of expected in his first home game to be a bit of ambivalence. Uh, he was warmly welcomed. I think a lot of Everton fans just thought, you know what, they're not going to do what's happened at other clubs where they don't like the manager, so they're going to get on his back immediately. They're going to just see how it goes. And I think what might actually end up happening is he might be a better fit for Everton than anybody publicly or privately was prepared to acknowledge at the time. Um, he certainly... You know, so to get the away win in midweek, I mean, I wasn't the game, sure, Luke was at the game. I don't think it was done in any kind of great, and you know, attacking style. But, you know, when you think of Everton and not won a game away from home, I think, so it didn't last this, the previous December. You know, that's already a pretty good start. to get a point at Anfield again, no matter what the circumstances. Um, the one thing you can guarantee with Sam Allardyce is he knows how to organise a team. He knows how to get clean sheets. And... Uh, you know, I think people call it percentage football in quite a derogatory way. But, you know, even if it was one-dimensional at times, it, it was non-dimensional a lot yeah. of time before he got there. So one-dimensional is better than nothing, you know. And then, obviously, it's up to him to evolve it a little bit further, and that'll be when the real test comes. I think he's going to have a pretty long honeymoon period, actually, because it was so bad before he got there. To sort of change it around and get a few results and get this encouraging kind of form going, it's really going to cut him, you know, buy him a lot of time. And then the real test, I think the real, you know, what the Evertonians really want going forward will come when they're looking to, you know, chance to back into the top six again. Mm. And, and then we'll know how good Sam really is. You know, that this is the chance he's wanted all his career, really, to, to be at a club that had some money, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of strong fan base. He thought he was going to get it at Newcastle and he didn't get it at Newcastle. He will get that support at Everton and he'll get the time at Everton. And then uh, that'll be where it gets really interesting. But for the moment, I think everything's going to be pretty comfortable for him. We thought between now and the end of the season, because they're not going to they're not going to go down. And I think if he finishes mid-table, considering the position they were, that'll be a really uh, good start for him. And how how well's Wayne Rooney playing at the minute? I thought he was he was really good um, again against Newcastle. And it's some goal scoring record he's on at the minute, or goal scoring streak, should I say? Well, he started the season quite well, and then obviously when the results started to dip. He, he, he suffered quite badly, and it was like he didn't really know how to use him, what position. And then it was it was really David Dunsworth's last game. I mean, he hadn't played, and it was a bit strange. I thought that he didn't play Wayne Rooney more. Maybe that'd be a regret uh, for Dunsworth when he looks at you know he didn't get the job because mm. when you put him in that 
midfield role. You know, you could he's such an intelligent footballer. He does. You know, there is, he is one of those players who at times he sees the game quicker than some of the you know the lesser talented players around him. And um, you know, and he is versatile and he can score goals. So yeah. he's still got so much to offer. He's he's not what he was in terms of his pace and you know he he's lost that over the last few years, but. You can see, you know, his technical ability is right up there, and uh, yeah, he's in a good form, and you know, he's been part of the the revival. He was talking up Olivier Giroud on the radio on Sunday morning. Do we expect a move for him in January? Well, they tried to get him, but that was under a different, you know, different manager, wasn't it? That was that was Ronald Koeman who wanted him and felt that that was what cost him his job. Sam might have a different idea. I mean, if you go for Giroud, you're not solving the problem of the lack of pace in attack. <laughs> you know, you you kind of but then again, he, he could see him working as well in, in the way Sam, you know, is traditional. He, he, what, what you'd imagine is that Sam Allardyce will go for a kind of, you know, the modern Kevin Davis, wouldn't you? But, <laughs> but then again, you know, he's got the kind of budget that he's not had before. Maybe he's going to be thinking a bit, you know, more advanced than that. Maybe he's going to be looking for. But there's not how many out there. How many, if you actually look at how many top strikers are available in Europe, particularly in January, there aren't really that many. So it just could be a case of you just get what you can and then work around it, you know. Um, but I think he's already in a position where he can start thinking longer term. I don't I don't think it's that situation, which it looked like it was going to be three weeks ago, where you've got to get a striker in just to survive. I don't think Everton are going to be thinking that way now. And I think if they were to win tomorrow, they'll probably be even talking about can they get in the top eight. The top eight. Dizzy heights indeed for yeah. Sam Allardyce's Everton. Thanks very much, Chris. Cheers, Chris. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Finally, it was Arsenal 1, Newcastle 0 at Ashburton Grove. Superb finish from Meza Ozil for the only goal of the game. How hard did Newcastle make Arsenal work for this win? Well, Tom, I'm very pleased that we finally got on to my specialist subject <laughs> of northeast football. Um, OK, Newcastle, look, oh, great goal from Ozil. Um, wonderful. Newcastle did pretty well. They've not actually been thrashed in any games. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say 7 out of 10 for, for effort, but didn't ever really look like getting anything out of it. Arsenal could well have been out of sight. But look, Newcastle are in a lot of bother. Um, I was worried in, in August... Uh, when the window shut and I looked at that squad uh, and um, I'm I'm even more worried now because uh, quite frankly I don't think this takeover talk has been particularly helpful I think it has been a distraction I think everybody has assumed that there's going to be new owners in time for January and I think how can I put this there's been a lot of misinformation put out there about what is actually going on, and it worries me. Well, it let's, really get, does let's worry get into me. that, Luke. It would be remiss of us not to draw on your Newcastle expertise. Shall we open this up to the podcast fans yes, on please. Twitter? So let's get to a few of their questions. First one from Daniel Abela. Is there a deadline in the takeover negotiation? Will Amanda Staveley walk away from the negotiations if the team is not improved in January? No, we are told not. Um, the, the, on, on both sides, the, the, the initially Mike Ashley had said he wanted to sell by Christmas. I think he realises now that's not going to happen. Uh, and Amanda Staveley's people who have said that they, they've not put a deadline on it either. So no, I don't think there is a deadline. My worry is the deal could have been done. 
this is my whole problem with the issue. Look, she knows what Mike Ashley wants for it. He's made that perfectly clear and that deal has still not been done. And I think the frustration is actually growing more on the Ashley side of things now than the Stavely side of things because I think they're looking at it going, look, do the deal. You're talking about a football club that's in relegation trouble ahead of the January transfer window. Do the deal. There's the money. You've got all this money behind you, supposedly. Do the deal. Give him what you know. Give me what I want. I'm going all my cashly now. Give me what I want. Do the deal, and I'll go. I'll rip down the Sports Direct advertising hoardings. I'll stuff them in my free carrier bag, and I'll walk back down to the home counties, and you know, back to my mansion, wherever that is, somewhere in Bedfordshire or somewhere like that, Berkshire. Uh, look, she won't do the deal. Now that makes me worried. I'm. I'm concerned by that because if you're Amanda Staveley and you know we've heard so much about how much wealth she's sitting on the deal hasn't been done and you know the first bid was made several weeks ago now and was rejected out of hand for not being a serious bid uh my information is as far as Mike Ashley is concerned she still hasn't returned for a serious bid look Newcastle are in a relegation battle. It's a huge risk to buy uh, a club that could go down. So I've always been criticised up in the North because I've been quite negative about this from the start. But I can really see this deal collapsing. I'm actually going to put it out there that uh, if Amanda Stavely wanted to do that deal, it should be done now. Two questions from Jamie's story. If the takeover is not happening, how much will Rafa get from Ashley to spend in January? And also, do you think Rafa would walk if the deal was off? The fact that Rafa still doesn't know is slightly worrying. Look, there is money to spend. There is. I don't think it's going to be a huge amount. Uh, I would have said it would be about £20 million, um, but maybe wages have got to come out of that as well. I so, guess you're like a reserve goalkeeper these days. Yeah, so exactly. There's not going to be huge amounts. But the one thing I will say about Ashley is the only ever time he sanctioned sort of heavy spending has been when relegation is, is a threat. So... I wouldn't rule it out. I think, you know, everyone is still hoping that this takeover can take place, including Ashley. Look, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not here to stick up for the guy. He's been a pretty disastrous owner for, for Newcastle and I'd love to see him gone, if I'm perfectly honest. But I am going to just say, look, he, you know, th- this isn't necessarily just his fault that this takeover isn't happening. And I think if, if he wants to give it every opportunity for the takeover to happen, if it doesn't, I think Newcastle will spend and I would expect that there'll be a green light for Rafa to bring in Three or four players in January. I'm going to put my neck on the line. Quite how much money there will be, I don't know. But I wouldn't rule out, for example, Ashley maybe putting a bit of extra money in. I really wouldn't. Newcastle fan Ali Rashid asks, realistically, what position are we ending up in at the end of the season? Um, I think it will be bottom seven, but I can't tell you really. It all depends on what happens in January. As things stand with that squad, if they do not strengthen it in January, I will. I would say they'll, they'll go down. Finally... Some... I hadn't actually finished, Tom, but that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No, he just wants me to stop talking now, everyone. Well, time's yeah. ticking away. Finally, a question from Ectotoad on Twitter. Have you ever seen proof that Modi Arme is a professional footballer? Any certificates, badges, Tony Tiger 10-metre swimming certificates? I'm starting to think he's lied to get the job. Um, well, I've seen him play very well for, for both West Ham and the Hull City. Um, but he has been a bit of a disappointment uh, at Newcastle. However, I will add that I thought the cheering uh, and sarcastic applause when he was substituted uh, against Everton was very poor from Newcastle fans and 
for supposedly the best supporters in the world tag. Uh, I don't think that's the way they should be behaving to their own supporters. Look, Modiama has not played well, but neither has he been a disgrace like some of the other players that I've seen play for Newcastle over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and he didn't deserve that. Um, but he is struggling and you do wonder whether they bought a bit of a dud. Rafa Benitez signing, of course. But yes, I think they did buy a bit of a dud. We will watch events on Tyneside with interest. You know what time it is. Yes, it's Hero of the Week. We're going to go with an entire heroic football club this week. And it is, of course, Heart of Midlothian, who brought Celtic's 69-match unbeaten run to an abrupt end on Sunday afternoon with a deeply surprising 4-0 victory. 16-year-old Harry Cochran, Kyle Lafferty, David Milinkovic were the goal scorers. But this was a team effort, although Hearts manager Craig Levine had doubts that they would see it through, saying afterwards, I think we were in the 89th minute when I thought, we're actually going to win this. Luke, in this spirit, when have you been happiest to see an excellent football team brought down a peg or two? I mean, this is almost cruel of me. Um, but do you remember the uh, World Cup uh, in Brazil? Certainly do. When, um, when poor Brazil, you know, the uh, the protectors the of the beautiful game, that wonderful nation, that wonderful football nation in their iconic yellow and blue kit, and what a wonderful country, what a wonderful football country, got absolutely <laughs> spanked in their own home uh, World Cup by Germany, and that is cruel. But I did laugh. I'm sorry, I, I just found that funny. It was an astonishing football match. It was an astonishing football match. Or, but or, or, to, to bring it back to club level, um, there was the Liverpool decline, on a wider perspective, there was a Liverpool decline of the 90s when their fans have just got used to winning every season and then learnt what it was like to be an actual football fan and go and watch crap teams losing and failing miserably like the rest of us. And again, when first Alex Ferguson left Manchester United, I mean, that, that season with David Moyes did fill me with quite a lot of laughter. Not that you're bitter. No, it's not about bitterness. It's just these supporters who choose a team. I don't like them. The ones who go, oh, I'm going to choose that team because they're really good and I'm going to watch them. And then after 20 years, suddenly it all turns to misery. Well, we look forward to the opposite happening to Leighton Orient. It's, it's always misery. It's coming. It's coming soon. That's it for this week's Total Football. Congratulations for reaching the end. I hope you have a marvellous Christmas and an absolutely textbook New Year. If you feel the need to wish me similar, please do so either in person or on Twitter, at Tom with an H Gibbs, just not via email. That will not be tolerated. Don't forget to subscribe to Total Football and leave us a review on iTunes, please. We do appreciate every single star. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Get amongst their back catalogue at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. We're going to be making a change to our regular Sunday night schedule over the Christmas and New Year period, so don't panic when your new episode fails to arrive next Sunday. It's Christmas Eve. Concentrate on tinsel or something. Instead, we'll have new episodes for you on Thursday the 28th of December and Thursday the 4th of January. Then we'll be back in the warm embrace of weekly Sundays from the 7th of January.